Good morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? Good. Well, was that fun? Family feud a little fun today? Praise the Lord. My name is Pastor Derek. If you don't know who I am, and I just want to welcome you to Connect Community Church. We're just all about faith and family and friends, and uh, we like to have a little fun in church sometimes. Amen? And celebrate. You know, this should be, Sunday should be, we hope that this will be one of the best hours of your week when you come to church, so we're going to do our best to make that possible. It's a crazy nuts world we live in today, isn't it? And we need to be able to have a good time once in a while. So turn to your neighbor say, get ready, it's going to be good. <laughs> you can get your worship guides out, and that's a little, like, little map that you could follow along in the service, find out what's going on in the church throughout the week, but also in particular today, something you can take notes I encourage note-taking, note-takers or history makers, and I think it makes a big difference in your life if you do so. And then you can follow on version as well. We have a, a, there's a free Bible app that uh, you can just download called version, and our whole worship guide's inside uh, that as well. A little even more detail, you can email yourself. It's just really cool if you don't know what that is. One of our leaders or family members can help you with that. Quick announcement, I want to tell you... Uh, we started this series a few weeks back, and one of the things that just kind of called an audible in the middle of the service, because we were talking about relationships and marriages, and just thinking about even my own marriage, and what's been going, my wife and I were doing a marriage conference just recently up in uh, New Hampshire, and uh, I decided that we would have an opportunity in the main service for people who are married to renew their vows. So that's happening next Sunday in both services. I think we've got almost 20 couples that will be renewing their vows in the service. So if you are interested in participating in that, a public declaration of your love for your spouse and also a recommitment, a rededication to doing it God's way, marriage God's way, that will happen in the main service. So I will preach a message that I was going to do anyway. I'm just going to tweak it a little bit. And at the very end of the service, we got a really cool ending planned for, for all of y'all, as my wife would say, from the South but also for the couples who are um, renewing their vows. That's next Sunday. If you're interested, you can sign up in the uh, in Guest Central downstairs in the uh, common area. And then if you want to invite friends, we even have invite cards for you to invite friends. I would encourage you to get here early because uh, we expect that there will be a good response to that. Amen? So this series has been entitled Home, and we made a contrast between house and home. A house you all know is something that's built. You know, brick and mortar, wood, hay, stubble, as the Bible says, nail guns and glue and cement blocks and things like that. But, um, but a home is where the heart is. And we, we all innately have a place value that's high for a home. We want a home, a place to rest our head, a place where we can relate and recreate, and a place where kind of, you know, we have good and fond memories. And so the Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, that a home is built on wisdom and common sense. And how many know common sense ain't so common no more? Turn to your neighbor and kind of look at him funny. (laughs) You is what I was talking about. (laughs) But uh, so we're going to talk about uh, building blocks, bricks for relationships, for building a strong family home. And so in the first couple weeks, we talked about what it means to live single, how to Living, how many were here for the first two weeks of the series, Living Single, okay? If you weren't there, that's an all-play, even though it's called Living Single, and we just kind of gave preeminence to the series where normally Living Single is kind of last or not even addressed at all, uh, so I encourage you to get that. And then last week, we kind of kicked things off just taking a look uh, from a big picture on family. And there were two universal principles that I presented to you guys, and the first one was uh, that you didn't pick or choose your family, Right? How many know you didn't pick or choose your family? 
You get what you get and don't get upset. You know what I'm saying? That's just the way it is. And the second universal principle that we learned is that there are no perfect families. You're not perfect. Your family's not perfect. You know, your kids aren't perfect. Somebody say amen or oh me on that one. Uh, You know, and so if you think that, if you're perfect, you know, then you're probably messing it all up because nobody's perfect. In fact, there's sometimes attempts, though, in family life I'm going to show you a picture in just a second about a family that's trying to make everything perfect, you know, by the outside. So look at this little matchy-matchy family picture. You know, uh, this is what people do sometimes. They try to get it all right on the outside, but it's not necessarily. You ever done that? It's a pain in the butt. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, no family's perfect. We all come from different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, you know, uh, traditional two-parent homes. We come from uh, blended families. We come from sometimes, you know, uh, one-parent homes and things like that. And as a result, uh, it's difficult sometimes to know how to build a healthy family in a modern world. And so last week, again, we took like a 30,000-foot view of family. Uh, But today we're going to take a closer look. And this is going to be from a very familiar text to some of us. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Look in your notes. It says this. It says, start children off on the way they should go. And even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Proverbs 22, 6. So that's basically saying, get it right in the beginning. Things will work out better in the end. Now, the in-between, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. But there, there are stages to life and parenting, aren't there? Now, I, I know from a male perspective, uh, I, I was reading this recently, successful stages from a male perspective to life. I read this, that at age four, a, a, a male, a boy, success is not peeing in your pants. At age 12, success is having friends. At 16, success is having a driver's license. At 20, success is having sex. At 35, success is having money. At 50, success is having money. At 60, success is having sex. (laughs) At 70, success is having a driving's license still. At 75, success is having friends. And at 80, success is not peeing in your pants. (laughs) So there's stages that we all see in our mind, but we need to get these stages right, don't we? So how do we raise our kids in a culture that we're living in today, a culture like ours? Because there are a lot of wrong turns and, and not so many right turns, and we want them to love God. We want them to love us as parents or as, or as influencers. We want them to love their, their siblings, and they want them to love themselves, you know, and have a healthy self-esteem. And that's why the, the, the writer of Proverbs suggests, hey, work on this right here. And things are going to work out better for you towards the end. So how many here would, would, that are in this room have children under the age of five? Anybody with children under the age of five? Some of you really slow raising your hand. It's just like you're so tired. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're like mainlining caffeine. You know what I mean? Like, how many, I feel for you. How many with uh, children over 18? Over 18. We'll go to the other end. Book ends, okay? All right. How many living in the basement still? Anybody? Kids still living in the basement? That'd be me. Okay, just kidding. Uh, sort of, not really. Um, so I understand that. But this week, we're going to talk about the stages from that way back here all the way to there. Hey, let me give you four stages of parenting. Actually, I've got notes for this. Imagine that. Like, he's so, oh, Lord, we needed to do it like this. There we go. So there's like, there's four stages, and hopefully this will come out in your notes. 
uh, or on the screen, or you can write these down. But if you're not, you know, taking notes, go ahead and write these down. Um, parenting stages. There's four different stages. The first one is what we call the discipline years. This is from ages zero to five. These are long and hard days. They're not thinking about teens and tweens. They're thinking about surviving toddlers, just getting through the day. It's crazy. And this, is, this particular phase of parenting is about the what you do. You might want to write that in. Write that in your notes. It's the what you do. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know what I mean? Don't stick your finger in that socket. Don't put that bee in your mouth and eat it. I was just seeing like a goddaughter in our life, and she was, she was ripping a bee apart with her fingers. You just, this is the, this is summary, just don't. It's like, you know, Nike has just do it, this is just don't, okay? So the second phase, and we'll unpack these more in a little bit, is the training phase, 5 to 12, the training phase. And um, this is what Proverbs 22.6 is really talking about. This is your, your school-aged children. Um, this, is the, uh, this isn't the what you do. This is the why you do what you do. This is the why phase. This is where you're explaining things and unpacking things. I can remember with my daughter Madison. She's, uh, she's a loving, caring girl, but she would speak whatever came to her mind. I can remember walking into a subway, and there was a heavy person, you know, probably trying to lose weight. You guys all started moaning right away. I could feel that. And she goes, Daddy, why is that person so big? Oh, you know what I mean? And there's just no recovery for that. You know, I'm, I'm really sorry. You know, and, and so I had to pull her aside and say, Honey, you can't say that. Why can't you say that? He is big. Or, you know, and because he has feelings, honey. Do you like it when I say this to you like that? And she's like, no. And, and, and then one time we walked into a, you know, uh, we're going to an airport and people were smoking outside. And she goes, Daddy, that person's smoking. Didn't you say that was bad for you? <laughs> oh, my gosh, honey. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's the why, all right? The coaching year is 12 to 18, okay? This is, this is from middle school, say, through high school. This isn't the what, this is the what, this is the why, this is the how you do what you do as a parent, the how. And here, we're, we're teaching them to think for themselves. We're kind of uh, coming alongside them, and there's more freedom here, and there's more slack on the line. Here, we're letting go. Um, the, this, is, this is a very turbulent time. If you can survive this, then you get to go to the next phase, which is the friendship phase, okay? If you can survive this. And this is kind of the when you do what you do. Because when you get here, they're going to be making some of the biggest deci epic decisions and choices in their life is going to be coming right here at the friendship phase. And you want to be there for that. So this is really the goal, the process, the journey that you're going through uh, with your kids. My goal and my wife's goal is not for us, we didn't figure this out right away, we figured this out over time, so please don't look at us as the model parents, but, but it wasn't to have well-behaved children or happy children. Like I talked about last week, there's this, this we, some people bend to the right where it's perfectionism, or we bend to the left where it's permissive, where it's just grace, 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 or it's truth, truth, truth. And so it's not about just being well-behaved or not just about being happy, but we actually want to see children who are rich in relationship. That's the win. 
It's, we don't look for like, oh, did they graduate from the most prestigious schools? Were they in the best programs? Did they, were they, are they going to be material wealth, materially wealthy? No. Are they going to be rich relation, relationally? Because relationships are what life is all about. Successful, healthy, whole, make a difference people. It's always about relationships. Is everybody out there? Listen to what I'm saying. So our goal is really to help figure out what's your gift? What, what did God design you to do? What's your purpose? Let's get people inside of that. And it's, that's why it's, it's just so important that you be a, a part of a local church. And so my job is to be there as a friend with them in, those, in that particular season of their life because of the decisions that they'll make. And we want to raise our kids in such a way that they'll eventually, as a result of this process, naturally want to be in friendship with us. So the problem is parents make two big classic mistakes. And really, the line of demarcation is kind of right here between the first two stages and the last two stages. And here's what happens. You can write this down, but we try to be friends in the two early stages. In the discipline, in the training years, we try to be friends. Some people are trying to be friends with their toddler. Some people are trying to be friends with their middle schooler. Your middle schooler is a terrorist. We do not negotiate with terrorists. Okay? We're not friends there. And so here, people, parents are trying to go all Oprah and all Ellen DeGeneres on their kids and all touchy-feely and lovey. That's not the time for that. Okay? People got sensitive there because they brought in Ellen there and Oprah. So, you know, but the point is, this is not the place for that. So number two, what we do is we overcompensate by trying to discipline in the latter two stages. Just hold those slides next service a little later. Because see, over here, this is where we're like, oh, we didn't do what we should have done here, so now we're going to lay down the hammer. Now we're going to whip them into shape. Now we're going to bring restriction, and we're going to bring a tremendous amount of discipline in that particular phase of life. We're going to crack that whip. And, and what happens is here, because God put this in them, kids intuitively understand that we should be releasing them. We should be letting them go a little bit further on their own. We need to we need, let it go, let it go, parents. But we're scared to let it go because we let it go back here. And now we're trying to get it back, get it back. And it's too late, too late. <laughs> I love how this hurts. Everybody say that. I love how this hurts, all right? So what, what I want to, you to walk through is these four stages so you don't just survive but that you thrive because love and discipline uh, look different at each one of these stages. Is everybody tracking so far? Everybody say this is good so far. We'll see how he does the rest of the way. So today, let's move into some more deeper things. And again, I want to emphasize, just listen to what I'm saying. But, but, but with our family, we're not, we were not the perfect family. We are not currently the perfect family, even close to it. You know, when my wife and I were raising our guinea pigs, I mean our God-loving kids, um, it was a process. It was a journey. And, and I begin with a certain fear and trepidation talking about a subject like this. It kind of makes me nervous. I actually heard this quote by John Wilmot. He was a 17th century uh, poet, and he basically said, before I got married, I had six theories about bringing up children. Now I have six children and no theories. 
okay? So, so I'm gonna, I want to talk about these stages a little bit more intently, okay? I knew a couple, and I don't know if this would be funny to you. It's just funny to me, but I knew a couple, and, and, and they're great parents. They have great kids, great family, amazing people. And uh, in the early phase of their marriage, um, this is about 10 years ago, they had three children back to back to back. You know what I'm saying? Like no rest, okay? The poor woman. And so have all these kids, boom, 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 boom. And it was just, they didn't even think about it, but all of a sudden, bam, it is so tough. Like every night, one, two of the kids is up at a time. There's always one or two that's inconsolable. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, I'm there right now. I can just feel it. They're inconsolable, and so they have these trade-offs. You know, the wife's up and the husband's up. Well, anyway, the husband, he's up, and he's literally, they've been up all night for like four nights in a row. Now, some of you say that's impossible. Trust me, it's happened for many families that are out there, like just endless nights, no sleep, you know? And so he goes into the room to, to, to attempt to console one of his kids so the other one doesn't wake up, goes into the bedroom. Kid is just crying, 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 cannot, you know, da 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 da, da sing a song, puts the kid down. He gets this bright idea that he's going to turn on the dehumidifier so, like, get some noise, you know, maybe it will, it will calm the baby down. More importantly, maybe it will, he won't hear the baby anymore and they can just go back to bed. And so he turns the dehumidifier on, it's a true story, and the thing just starts to, to rev up like an airplane. It's like, and it's getting so loud, and he's starting to freak out, and he's so tired, he doesn't know what to do, and he's looking at, and so he punches the dehumidifier. Plastics going everywhere. Water splashes everywhere. Water gets all the baby. The baby starts screaming. He freaks out. He's completely disoriented because he's barely awake as it is. He turns and he sees his wife and he's like, honey, I'm totally out of control. Oh my gosh. And he goes to hug her and she punches him right in the throat. Are you trying to kill my babies? He's like, oh, oh nice punch. <laughs> now they recovered from that. But it was that day that they realized we have got to partner up or we're not going to survive this phase, right? So in the discipline years, zero to five, what do we do? Here, write this down. You got to create a family rhythm because these are crazy times. This stage is about survival. So you got to have a daily or weekly kind of schedule and a routine in order to keep your family afloat. You won't make it if you don't do so. And, and as you go forward, you're going to see this come out more and more. The family rhythm really floats into all of these stages, but you've got to find that, that you got to realize that your kids know that you love them in your heart, but they want to see it in your calendar. They want to see it in your calendar. Kids know that you love them by their words, but they know it by the schedule that you keep. The Northeast is so crazy busy, crazy. And so we need to love them through our schedule. So a question you can ask yourself, and you can put in different things underneath this to find that rhythm. I don't have time to do all of them this morning. But what are priorities that you can implement into your home that communicate that, that, that kids are important, that the home life is important? For us, it always revolved around the dinner table especially in the early years. We would have dinner together four or five times a week, and we would eat together. And this is where we set 
you know, kind of the family rhythm. Everybody got recalibrated. Everybody was, was here, woo. We got everybody kind of resettled. Later in life, this became a distraction-free zone. Everything, you know, phones up, iPads away. You know, it's like completely non-digital. And, and this is where we would debrief our day. And in our house, we really would find out what's going on in their lives at dinner time, supper table. And we, in the beginning, used to ask questions like, you know, just closed questions like, how was your day? Good. Did you have a good day? Yes. You know, what was great about it? It was just fine. You know, we learned that we had to ask open-ended questions. You know, tell me something about your day, Mallory, that was exciting or something new that you learned. Did you meet any new friends on the school bus and what happened? And, and of course, I have three girls and one boy, so the girls were always better at kind of getting the ball rolling, you know, in particular, Mallory. And, you know, I can remember her saying things like, oh, there's a new girl. She came to school today. It was the first time. And I remember her coming to the cafeteria with her tray, and she was so scared. And me and Deborah were sitting next to each other as best friends, and we looked at her like, oh, we should probably make some space for her. And so we pulled apart from each other, and we waved her to come over and sit with us daddy and she was such a nice girl I'm like oh my gosh Mallory that's so good what a great kid even better parents what a great kid even better parents we were so like that's awesome but then we'd go down the line asking questions and it was always different for each child and 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 in Devin's case he used to use this time to tell on himself and so he used this time to to let us know that things weren't going perfectly, but he wouldn't tell us necessarily directly. And so you'd say, Devin, what happened at school today? And he'd say, you know, uh, Dad, you know Alex? You know, yeah, I know Alex, yeah. Well, Alex said a bad word to the teacher, and then, uh, he, you know, and then he, like, he put me in a headlock, Dad. He put me in a headlock, and he was nugging me, and he'd just be going off about one of his friends doing something bad. And we're like, okay, what did you do? What did you say? I didn't say anything, Devin. You, you, didn't, you didn't say anything else. You didn't do anything else. No, no, no. I mean, I told him he was stupid and punched him. But he put me in a headlock, Dad. He put me in a headlock, you know. And this is just kind of where he got things off his chest. And this is where we would debrief how our kids were really doing in life. Their hearts would kind of come to the surface. It was priceless time. It's a part of the family rhythm. And so I encourage you that you have to find something that you, you celebrate. We, we'd have meals, and we'd, say, and we'd say grace every time. We'd practice each one praying and learning how to talk to God and not just talk at God. And, and we'd always follow up with, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord because we wanted to build a strong house that was based on serving God. Here's another one. Celebrate the Sabbath. Here's what you do to, to kind of get through these stages successfully is celebrate the Sabbath. Now, I'm not saying we're not a Jewish family. So some of you don't know what the Sabbath is all about. That's okay. I understand that. But it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's right in the middle. Number four, you know. And it's interesting that we look at all of the Ten Commandments and we say they're still relevant. We should still obey them. But the Sabbath, it's kind of like, huh, not so much. But it's critical that you have a Sabbath. The Bible says in Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son nor your daughter. Your whole family is offline. For in the sixth day he made heaven and the earth, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the Sabbath is kind of a boundary marker for families. It's actually God's gift to us as a family. See, it's a gift? Yeah. It's actually a gift to keep us from going back into slavery. 
See, when Israel was coming out of Exodus, out of Egypt, the grand Exodus, they were working day and night, day and night, nonstop, and they had to. And God said, I know how you are. I know your default as a people. And so I'm instituting, I'm implementing margin into your life so you never have to go back to that place of slavery again. But yet here in Massachusetts, you know, where we're going 100 miles an hour, you know, Mach 5 with our hair on fire. Parents, you know, it, it's, it's crazy. We go to a sporting event, and I can remember being at sporting events for my son, and we're at, a, at the end of, a, like, a basketball tournament. It was an exhausting week, practices every day, then a tournament. We get to the end of that, and the friends are like, oh, well, now we've got to go to another tournament in the city, and then we're flying up to uh, New York City because one of our other kids has a tournament there, and then after that, our five-year-old's going into a modeling agency, and we're going down to Jersey, and it's like an arms race, you know what I'm saying, to how busy you can be, and it's, con- it's convincing your kids that they have to run at this pace of perfectionism and performance, and this mentality is affecting our kids adversely. You know, in this next picture, it kind of depicts, like, what life has become like, not just in America, but really all over the world. We're trying to pile everything in to the smallest amount of space, and it's like we're on a race, and let's put everybody in with us as we go instead of slowing down. Look at this kind of, like, like all-in-one, crazy, crazy, all-aboard bike. Look at this. Have you ever seen so many people? Take a good look. There's, like... How many is that? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people on a scooter. The most I've ever seen is six in the Dominican Republic. When I saw that, I thought, oh, my gosh, they got buckets for the kids. But we're trying to do too much at one time, get everybody to one place. And sometimes the place that we're going is not necessarily the safest place for our life. And so you as a parent, you as an influencer, have to decide to maybe go countercultural. Because culture is running, it's racing, and sometimes this is all stopped and kind of a stop payment comes about because of the Sabbath, where you kind of not go digital, you go analog. You just kind of, you take walks and talks, you know, and my wife's always trying to get us to go like canoeing or do something on the water, or you have a beach day, or you have a park trip, or you have some kind of excursion, some place where you unplug, because we live in a constant state of distraction. I was driving down the highway recently, and I was taking a friend to the airport, and um, we got to, um, you know, where Fenway Park is on the right-hand side, and they've got that place where you can get on the train, and I was looking, I saw hundreds and hundreds of people getting ready to get on the train, and not one of them was talking to the other person. They were all looking down on their phone. I went by a park just here in Ashland, Stone Park, and I was watching parents take their kids to go play and spend time with their kids, and they're pushing them on the swing while they're looking at Facebook. You know, that's our world today. We're with them, but we're not present and, 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 and this phase goes by so fast, it seems so arduous, but it's, it's gone into a blink of an eye, and yet you're making an incredible impression on their life, and because love pays attention. Love pays attention. So Sabbath was God's way to protect us, and a great day to have Sabbath, by the way, is on Sundays, which many of you are, which I'm proud of you for doing so. It's, it's, it's kind of a way to kind of put first things first, and, and I know it's a sacrifice for some of you. Some of you have to be almost like pagan parents to get your kids to church. You have to, like, whip them. You have to, like, bribe them. Honey, not Cheerio trails all the way to the van or, I don't know, whatever it is you do. Whatever it takes, it's worth it. It's worth it. 
Statistically speaking, the greatest predictor that your child will end up with a vibrant faith of their own is not only how committed their parents were to observing and going to church, but how families serve together. The number one reason that your kids will actually get to a place of health down here is not just because you observed the Sabbath because you went to church, but you went to church together, you figured out what you were designed to do, and you did it together. And it's there that kids see the authenticity of your faith, that it really works. That's why serving together is so impactful. Amazing. We strive to make this a place where you can see the difference with Connect Kids and Activate and even the 508. We want time here spent with your kids to, to kind of create an anchor in your child's soul so that when they get older, they won't depart from it. And then when they build a family, they'll see this thing repeated generationally. So you have to make this a priority. A priority is simply a predecision about how we're going to do something. And it requires sometimes a predecision to make certain sacrifices in order for that something to come to pass. We have to make these decisions. So the next phase is the training years, okay? So the training, everybody getting something out of this so far? The training years is where we have to communicate clear expectations, clear expectations. I was in somebody's home not too long ago, and they're very structured home, and on the refrigerator, listen, on the refrigerator, fine print, 50 rules for the house. And I was laughing because they were like newbies in the faith, and I'm thinking in my head, they got 50 rules, they don't even know the Ten Commandments, you know? <laughs> You know what I mean? It can get crazy. And I can remember thinking, you know, back to when, when my son and Mallory in particular, the first two were born, I was just overwhelmed with the responsibility. You know, I remember driving home with Devin from the hospital, and, and, and driving there was kind of fast. Driving home, it was really slow. You know what I'm saying? Because, why? Because responsibility had hit me. And then I realized how much I had to download and so many things I need to teach him and her, and, and, it's, and it's never really gone away. But what happened is I realized I'm going to be confusing if I try to give them too many things at one time, that I needed focus. And I want to say something to you as parents. The Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask of God who gives generously. See, God will give you wisdom. One time I was praying and God showed me there's kind of like three, like let's just say simple rules for our family, three values for our family. You may want to write these down. They've helped me so much. And in particular in the younger, the first two stages of parenting, three values that we taught our kids. They could repeat these back to you. is talk to God, tell the truth, and take responsibility. The most important thing that I wanted to teach my kids is how to have a relationship with God, how God views them and how, so that they can view God. If they could see as God sees, they could do as God says. And so relationship with God was huge. The next one is tell the truth. This was more about right standing than right behavior. God showed me this. He realized that, you know, if you can just focus on behavior, 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 you're going to have problems because there's so many things that can go wrong. But if I focus on honesty and transparency and vulnerability, then they can stay in right standing with God and with their parents and as a result be less inclined to fall prey to the same mistakes that everybody else makes because right standing produces right behavior. Not right behavior produces right standing. Does that make sense to anybody out there? This is just good doctrine. So I wanted to tell the truth. I wanted to train my kids in such a way that when Mallory came home from school, if she made a mistake and say, Mallory, how was your day? Oh, and she'd start right away just telling the truth, just something she did wrong. She just got it off her chest. She's like, I just, I just have to get it out. I, don't, I can't carry this anymore. I want to be right, you know? Devin would come home and say, what happened to school today? I got in a fight with Johnny, you know? Who won? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. <laughs> but he would just, just have to get it off his chest to tell the truth, way better than hiding that, way better than concealing that, way better than living behind the fig leaf. What's that going to produce? More sin. 
more sin. And the last one is take responsibility. We live in a world of victimization where people just look at from the fall of man where, where Adam pointed at Eve and, and, and everybody's always pointing at the serpent or somebody, the devil made me do it or he made me do it or she made me do it. Listen, we're all going to make mistakes. We all come from imperfect families and we're imperfect people. The question is how we respond to those mistakes is what's going to determine the outcomes for our life. And so we just need to be able to take responsibility and move on to own the things that we've done wrong. Now I have another friend and he did it this way so I'm just giving you two choices. So, but you may like this one, but this one was this one was about defiance, three defiance, dishonesty, and disrespect. There were just three rules in the home. They're kind of similar. Defiance is more a spirit, an attitude. Dishonesty, of course, is similar to what I was talking about before. You know, it's so important that we tell the truth. And disrespect, we need to respect people, all people, brothers and sisters and siblings and moms and dads and authorities. These are just three great rules that a lot of families use. I had a family, and he said, he had a son, and he said, Dad, I think we should add another rule. And he's like, what? He's like, we already have three rules. He's, he's thinking to himself, you know, what son would want more rules? But he's like, no, I think we should add another one. He's like, what? He goes, I think we should add, don't worship the devil. And so, you know, I just, and, you know, I think that's how they roll. So we're just going to throw in devil worship. We won't do that one too. So that's just one more we can add, okay? So that was how his house rolled. Devil worship, we avoid that at all costs. <laughs> this is young families, you know, they do what they got to do, right? So... I showed you last week how you implement these things may look different for each and every one of you. You might, you might, have, um, you might have to customize this. I told you how a dad trying to get his kids to get along, and so he took his big T-shirt, and he wrote my get-along T-shirt, and he wrapped it over two kids, you know, at the same time until they got along. I know one mom, she said, you want your Wi-Fi password for the day, and she wrote it on the refrigerator. Wi-Fi password for the day. Number one, make your beds. Number two, vacuum downstairs. Number three, walk the dog. That's the Wi-Fi password for the day. So it may look different at each stage of development. Amen? But the challenge comes not so much with the rules and the boundaries, but, but how we handle it when they break the rules and when they cross the line. And this next part's critical. Uh, you need to learn how to correct, fill this in, correct with compassion. Correct with compassion. How we frame discipline is almost as key as what we discipline. Stacy and I missed this over and over again many different times, and I'll be the first to say that there, was, there were times that I disciplined my kids in anger. Uh, it's sad to say. And, 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 and I would attack their character. I can't believe you did that. You, you, you were a bad boy. You were a bad girl. Attacking their character, and that's wrong. I can remember in the heat of, you know, just anger one time, we were up on our way to vac on vacation, and, and I lost it. I lost it. We were in the minivan. This is back in the days when we had a minivan, and our Mercury Villager, and I lost it. And all three girls uh, and, all, and my son were in the, in the van, and, and I lost it on one of my kids, and I won't mention his name. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I was on tilt, and I disciplined him in front of the girls and my wife, and they were just like, you know, like freaking out, and, and there was shaming and shameful behavior. And that's why the Bible says in your notes, fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This was addressed first to fathers because fathers have this default to, like, crush the rebellion. Anything that challenges authority, rah! You know what I mean? And, and yet, while you're disciplining their behavior, you, be, you can be crushing their spirit. 
And, and it's dangerous because your words, again, a father's words can weigh 500 pounds and a mom's may only weigh 100. And so you may win the battle, but you can lose their heart in the process. And when you see the gospel of Jesus Christ, you see how God viewed our sin and yet how he viewed us. He separated the two. He saw them as distinct. The gospel is basically that we broke the father's heart when we sinned. We didn't break him. He didn't want to break it off with us or divorce himself from us. We simply broke his heart. He was disciplined. When I, when I, my sin, basically God is saying, oh, no, Derek, sin is there. And, and, and there's a consequence for that. But I love you and I accept you, but I'm going to take that sin and I'm going to separate it from you, and I'm going to put it on my son Jesus because there has to be, there's still consequences, and those consequences have to be accounted for and paid for. And, and he's the only one who's perfect that could pay for that and atone for that and make right that. And, and this is why good theology counts because if you think about this for a second, there are always consequences for sin on earth, but they're never supposed to take you or separate you from your child. I don't know if this makes sense, but we're supposed to separate them from their sin. It, hypothetically, let's just say uh, my son, he's, he, he, let's just say he's about 10 years old. Of course, he's much older than that now. And, and, he, and I can remember him wanting to do things like this. But let's just say he wanted to have a, a play date and have his friend come over. He wants to have a play date with his friend. He said a really, really close friend named Alex. And so he wants to have Alex over. And they're going to they're gonna play video games and watch popcorn until they just, you know, their stomach blows up. And, 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 but then between the time his friend's coming over, he gets physical with his sisters and he gets too rough and he hurts them. And they're crying and, and he has to be disciplined. And so Stacy comes to me and she tells me what he did and, and tells me about his sin. And, and what the common response for a parent would be to, to shame him and to rebuke his character and come against him. But the father's heart is different when it comes to discipline. The father's heart would be, oh, no, Devin, I can't, I hurt. Mom told me what happened. Ugh. She said that you, she said that you hurt your sister, that you were physical with her, and you, you, I, we made a promise that if you crossed those lines, there would be consequences for that. Remember that? And he's being quiet. And, and so, yeah, uh, Alex is not going to be able to come over for the play date, and, and, and he's not going to be able to be here this weekend. And you're going to wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Oh, my gosh, Alex can't come over. We were going to play Minecraft. Ah! You know, and then what you do, if you got it right, you're like, I know, I know, Dev, I know. It stinks. I'm so sorry. It's, ah, but I know you can do better next time. It's gonna, I believe in you. See, I'm not siding against him as if he's sinned. I'm separating his sin from him. I'm still accepting him while at the same time I'm not moving away from the necess necessity or necessary consequences that must come. Do you see the difference? And that difference, when that plays out, it creates a much more effective response. It's a subtle shift, but it makes a huge difference because my son isn't the problem. His sin is. And when you do it more like this, it communicates that you reject the sin, but you accept the person. And this is where people miss it, and I missed it so many times because the focus isn't punishment. The focus is to teach and to train. And sometimes training has discipline. And discipline, according to Hebrews 12, 6 and 7, is a part of of love because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens everyone, the Bible says, he accepts as a son. So acceptance and discipline must be able to be separated in order to be effective. And so the good parents 
Correct with compassion. Can I have an amen out there? So here's the next phase, the coaching years. I'm going to make this quick, but basically here's the deal. Nothing biblical. I don't have a verse for this. If you're in this 12 to 18 phase, here's, here's the big principle. Don't freak out. <laughs> Just don't freak out. Just hang on. All right, just hang on. One time, I, 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 my wife was like saying to me, we were coming to that preteen thing, teen early thing with the girls, and um, she says, I want to talk to you about a few things. Uh, there's going to be some changes in here. The girls are coming into puberty. And, and I was like, oh, cool. She's going to have the talk with the girls. And she's like, no, I'm having the talk with you. I'm thinking, what? I can handle this. She's like, I can handle this. She's like, no, you can't. You know you freak out. Whenever we start talking about some of these things and puberty and bras and all that kind of stuff, you start freaking out. No, I don't. I can handle it. Uh. I start getting monosyllabic in my responses. And she's like, just listen, honey, just don't freak out. Because the goal, honey, in this phase, because there's going to be hormones, and there's going to be crazy behaviors, and there's going to be bathrooms shut and doors locked, and all kinds of stuff, and talks and cries and all that. She goes, just open lines of communication, honey. Open lines of communication. So anyway, one time, I could tell you stories all day about this. One time, I come to the dinner table, and Mallory comes to the dinner table in a V-neck. And I remember sitting down at the dinner table, and I look across the table, and I'm going, what are those? And I look at my wife, she's like, no, 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 no. She goes, like this. She goes, she points to me, and I go, so like, yes, ma'am. And I kind of roll my head, and I go down in the back, and I'm in the bedroom. She comes in the bedroom, she goes, I go, where did those come from? And I, she goes, I told you not to freak out. I know, but I wasn't prepared for that. And Stacy had this incredible ability to just be calm in the middle of changes and all these adjustments, and, and it was incredible. She'd get in the, you know, in the, in the expedition and, and pick up all these girls from school and take all these girls home, and they're like 6th, 7th grade, 8th grade, that kind of phase, and, and she, she's just smart. She'd just like grab the wheel, just look straight ahead. She goes, okay, girls, give me the scoop. Who likes who? And they're like, oh, my gosh, Mrs. Fry, oh, my gosh. My. Within, like, 30 seconds, they'd be like, oh, Johnny actually likes so-and-so. And I think so-and-so kissed so-and-so. And, of course, she's never looking back. She's looking straight ahead. She's not even looking. And, she, and, and I'd say to her, what do you say to that? She goes, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. She just wouldn't freak out. And then they say some crazy stuff. You know, there's a party. And, so, and, the, and, and, and I'm thinking, in the seventh grade, there's parties. Yeah, and the police showed up. Oh, my gosh. And she, what do you do? She goes, I just, I just say, that's interesting. Do you guys want to stop at Dunkin' Donuts? And, she, and then you just keep on going. And then before you know it, she come right alongside and she start coaching them and advising them because, because they trusted her. And one day I came to pick up my daughter from school, Matt, uh, Madison, and she gets, in the, she gets in the car, and I don't know, she's in like that 13, 14 range, you know, she gets, hey, Dad, immediately, right to the phone, you know, I'm like, oh, nice talking, you know, that kind of thing, and, and I look back, and, and, and all of a sudden she goes, ew, and I'm like, what? She goes, oh, nothing, don't worry about it, it's just, it's no big deal. I'm like, what, honey, not, you know, she goes, nothing. I, I go, come on, you can tell me. She's like, okay. <laughs> one of my friends is with her mom, and she's getting a training bra. And as soon as she said that, like, I'm holding the wheel, I'm like, white-knuckled, you know what I mean? Like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And I can hear Stacy going, don't freak out. Don't look straight ahead. Don't freak out. And then she's telling me, she kept telling me, like, when you get like that, she goes, just, just, just ask questions. Just ask questions. And I'm, and I'm like, oh, you know, it's so stupid. But I'm like, oh, a, tra a training bar. How cool. Oh, my gosh. Oh. <laughs> What am I doing?
doing? And then my, Madison's like, not really. And, and I'm realizing I'm blowing it. And I can hear Stacey, she's like, don't freak out, don't freak out. Just, just ask questions. And so I'm like, do your other friends have training bras? Ah! <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, I got I to gotta wrap this up. You know, honey, it's just it's a big milestone, training bras and periods. It's just a big milestone. Uh, do all your friends have their periods? Ah! You know, and it's just... It's bad. So we get home. We pull in the driveway. Madison leaves the car, literally practically runs into the house. Stacey's at the front door. She's looking at me kind of funny. She sees Madison go by, and I come up. She's like, what happened? She goes, I don't know. She just freaked out. All I'm doing is asking questions. <laughs> my, po <laughs> my point is you're going to mess up. It's messy. It's messy. Stay in the game, okay? Parents, stay in the game. And the key word is trust. They need to trust you. Yeah. I made so many mistakes. So many mistakes. Trust is critical. Listen, I'm going to give you a really provocative thought, okay? Parenting Beyond Your Capacity was written by Reggie Joyner. It's an incredible book. And he wrote this very provocative quote which says this. Too often, parents think their primary goal is to get children to follow the rules. During the formative and teenage years, it's actually more important for parents to earn trust with the child than for the child to earn trust with the parent. It freaked me out when I saw that. I was thinking, wait a minute, he must have that wrong. It must be backwards. But the coaching stage, listen, parents miss this, but the coaching stage is like a big judo move. It's just using your body weight against them. It's, it's totally different. It's a flip. It's a total flip. It's actually more important for the parent to prove trust for the child. You want them to be able to open up. You want them when they open up their heart not to go in there and pounce because they'll close that baby right back up again. Coaching is coming alongside the child and asking the right questions, not like I did. Adolescence is murky. It's murky, murky waters. And you're going to have days, and I don't know what it'll look like for you, you're going to have days and you're going to see a crazy text you're going to come along this rogue text on their phone. You're going to be like, oh, my gosh, what boy is this? You know, are you going to see a post online and you're just going to, you know, and you just can't freak out. Don't freak out. Because in those moments, it will be decisive for your child's appropriate development by how you handle those things. Because ultimately, you can fill this in the blank. You need to win their hearts, not the arguments. Win their hearts. When they're five years old, it's different. If the argument's not going so well, you can take them from the couch and you can put them in their bedroom and you can shut the door and that's it. But when they're 17, you can't do that. You can't just stick them in the car seat and buckle them up. They can stick you in the car seat and buckle you up. <laughs> and they may one day just take the keys to the car at 18 and just walk out the door. What are you going to do if you've lost that seat of influence? What happens to that? So grounding and all these things that I know we have to do today. You know, I know friends who were grounded for six years and it didn't work. <laughs> taking stuff away. I know somebody was, they was telling me they were taking their kids' stuff away and it just wasn't working. Took the phone away and the kid said, okay, fine. Well, then, uh, you know, then I'll, I'll just have to walk home from work. Oh, I don't want to do it. Okay, well, I'm going to take your computer away. Okay, well, fine. Then I just won't do my homework. Oh, but you can't watch Facebook. I don't watch Facebook, Mom and Dad. You watch Facebook. You do Facebook. You know, the point is, you, whatever you take away, the closer they get to adulthood, the less effective these restrictions are at reaching them. And every family has fights, and every family has conflict, but there's a world of difference between fighting for them or fighting with them. And we need to fight for them, and we need to stay calm 
Calmness will lay great errors to rest. Here's the last point, and I'm way over. But in the friendship years, the friendship years are so, so key. Because when, you, when your kid slams the door in your face and says, I hate you, either out loud or in their heart, they need to know that, that you're going to stay in the game with them and never slam the door on them. Never quit on them. Because they'll break your trust, but you can never break their trust. And, and there comes a day, ultimately, and I'm there with a couple of my kids, where you, where you shift to that final phase of friendship. Let me just tell you something. This is the most significant phase of all. This is the one that you want to be aspiring for and living for. But because from 18 to 33, those millennial years, they're going to make some of the most epic decisions and choices in their entire life. And, and in life, it's like being in a car. You have to determine, are you, are you in the back seat? Are you in the trunk with them? Are you not even in the car on the journey of their life? Hopefully, you can be in the front seat looking through the windshield of relationships that they have in their life and you're there right alongside them, not to take the steering wheel, but to steer their steering, their visioneering for their life because you're in friendship with them. And you might, you might discover that not only are you coaching them, but they're actually, you're, you're not only a friend to them, but they're actually a friend to you and coaching you. You can actually learn some stuff from them sometimes. Today I get to see three generations that are friends in my life. And so if you can survive the discipline years and stay consistent in the training years, don't freak out in the coaching years, then for many, many, many years you can have friendship. And Jesus offers us friendship with the power of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 15, verse 15, it says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I've made known to you. Friendship is the ultimate goal of Jesus Christ for us. That's why he passed all these things on to his disciples, the, dis the disciplined ones, the disciples, because they were struggling. They couldn't do it on their own, but he made them friends. Because of Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father, the perfect role model and parent for our lives. So you don't need to freak out. And I'm, I'm concerned that some people listen to this and say, you know, I wish I heard this 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago. It's too late. It's never too late. Moms, it's never too late to keep fighting for your sons, not with, but for. It's never too late, dads, to keep fighting for uh, your daughters, not with, but for. Because God never stops fighting for you and never did. That's why you're here and that's why you're changed because of it. Amen. He responds in love and grace. Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down to the front right now. <clears throat> Would you just close your eyes and bow your heads just for a minute? Just be very still. Be very still. Very reverent moment now, okay? I know it's relational and frivolous at times, but it's also very important too. I use humor in many cases just to be able to open up our hearts so we can handle the pill of truth. Truth is it's a powerful pill. Sometimes it's hard to swallow it and get it to go down. In order for that to happen, we've got to be open and ready and prepared. You have a prodigal father who absolutely loves you, is crazy about you, and, he's, and he wants to do something in you that you do in the people that you influence in your life. So if you're a parent and you're struggling in your relationship with your kids, I want to encourage you to receive prayer today. There may be something that happened. Maybe there was, like the prodigal, there was a breakdown, a breakup, I should say, between father and son, mother and son, mother and daughter, father and daughter. That's what happened in the book of 
uh, Luke chapter 15. But then at some point, that son came to his senses and there was, there was a breakdown. He realized, you know what? Things weren't so bad before and, or something in, something in him wanted to be restored. And then ultimately, because of the father's anticipation and expectation, not to pounce, but to just, just lovingly accept and in compassion correct. He was restored with his father and there was a breakthrough. God wants to do that for you. And so I want to pray breakthroughs for you as parents today. And you might need to come down and just receive that before you leave today. Please don't leave if you're struggling in relationships. But maybe you're here today and you've never received Christ into your life. Because for this to work, these stages can kill you. You need you need somebody to come alongside you to help you. And that's all made possible by a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and his name is Jesus. And so if you've never accepted Jesus, you're listening online, or you're listening here in this room, and you want to accept Jesus today, I want you to raise your hand good and high, boldly. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't worry about what somebody else is going to do or what's going on around you. But if you know that's you, before you leave today, I'm not going to call you down front. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you right where you are. Is there anybody that says, that's me, and I want to leave today without having that, that assurance would you just pray this prayer with me? Those of you that believe that in your heart, would you just pray this prayer? Say, Jesus. Come on, say it strong. Say, Jesus, save me. I surrender my life to you. I thank you for your grace. I thank you that you paid for my sin. I accept what you did for me 2,000 years ago. Now help me to build the home that you called me to build. Help me to follow you as the ultimate parent in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a big hand clap all over the room. God bless you.